Good evening and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH TV. Well, you don't have to spend long walking through the corridors and internal gardens of Parliament House in Canberra to notice that the place has a decidedly strange vibe. Even people with security passes need to go through heavy scanning and reinforced doors just to get inside. Once you've passed through, there's a, dis there's a disincentive to leave until all your work is done. The building itself is designed to cater for this. There are plenty of rooms to hold functions, meetings, even screen films and hold fancy parties where the political sloganeering remains prominent. The building's catering section, working right across the building, would rival a large five-star hotel for output. Spending 12 hours or more a day in its heavily fortified, tightly protected, controlled, air-conditioned environment is not good for you. One of the most enlightening things you can do in Australian politics, in my opinion, is catch an Uber straight from Parliament House to downtown Canberra, which I often did while working for a political think tank a few years ago, and board a Murray's bus for the three hour ride back to Sydney. The contrast between the people downtown and the power brokers up on the hill, as it's called, is disturbingly stark. It was always a relief to find oneself surrounded by people dealing with real issues downtown, like staying warm in the middle of a Canberra winter, rather than the politicians and staffers whose debates and decisions about legislation were supposedly made with ordinary citizens in mind, but seldom were. Outsiders call Parliament House the Canberra bubble, but it's worse than that. Its controlled environment extends to the inhabitants themselves, who make up one of the most overtly hierarchical biospheres you could imagine. From the Prime Minister down, all politicians and their staffers are strictly graded according to their status in the party room or pay grade as a public servant. The type of people who are attracted to this kind of scene are not, generally speaking, the type to disregard the hierarchy and, say, treat an underling with anything more than due respect. Everyone is a cog in a machine, and the machine is designed not to make Australia a better place, but to make sure your team wins power. That's not to say that all the people who work there are bad. There are lots of good people who work there despite the insulated environment. But this is just my way of putting the Brittany Higgins saga in context. This is one of the biggest scandals in, Ca in Canberra political history, all because two staffers entered a ministerial office late one night in 2019. What they were doing there in the first place will now never be known by most of us, partly because the Canberra machine, when it cranked into action, was not concerned with the truth, it was just concerned with winning the political debate. Or battle, I should say. I can only add one observation to this sordid story, and that is that if Parliament House 
was situated in one of our capital cities and surrounded by the people who pay the wages of those who work inside, that is, taxpayers like you and I, then all this pathetic drama would be less likely because the occupants would be constantly reminded that they were there for reasons other than politics. So let's now go to an issue that could only be taken seriously in places like the Canberra bubble, and that is the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Indigenous spokesman, academic, lecturer and writer, Dr Anthony Dillon of the Australian Catholic University is one of the leading proponents of the No Case and he joins me now. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hi Fred. First Anthony, do you think I'm right? Do you think Canberra is too insulated from the real Australia and therefore can't be relied on to make changes to the constitution like the one that's being proposed? Yes, I, I do. And, you know, what we've been seeing lately shows that. Um, although, you know, we've seen some cracks, which you've spoken about, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You spend a bit of time in Canberra, don't you? What's your impression of the place? Yeah, um, it is a, a strange place to be in, although locals who, who live there like it. But um, certainly, you know, for, for the rest of the country to look at it, it, it can almost seem like, well, I think the word insular you've said used, describes it quite well, um, and it does have that out-of-touch feel about it, So, um, which is why, you know, it's so good when we have politicians like Jacinta, um, you know, who are out on the field, and, you know, she's not alone, but she's certainly out there on the ground, you know, getting her hands dirty, speaking with uh, real people, and uh, Dutton, to his credit, has been, you know, going to places as well, uh, just connecting with the real people. Yeah, it's no coincidence that the ones, to me anyway, the ones that politicians that I admire most are the ones that uh, kind of look most out of place in Canberra. Yeah, um, they're not afraid to get their hands dirty. Indeed, yeah. They're not afraid yeah. to stand in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. Now, you had a wonderful piece in The Australian this week on Tuesday, uh, and in it you said, I'd like to quote this to you, this is a great line, the voice quote, would send the poisonous message to Indigenous Australians who suffer needlessly that their salvation lies in the voice and they are powerless to make any positive change in their lives now or ever through their own efforts or from receiving the help offered to them. Anthony, is this what you are hearing from Indigenous people yourself? Yeah, the, the ones I... Uh talk to, um, you know, they're either doing well themselves or, um, or they know a lot of people who aren't doing well and they just know, hey, we, we don't need this thing called the voice. We do know uh, what we need. We need education. We need jobs. We need safe environments, all that sort of thing. And look, um, one thing that's one way to summarise this is we know when you look at the architects of the voice, whom I have a lot of respect for, even though I disagree with them, but, you know, they do deserve respect. They've made it. They're doing well. They're doing well without the voice, okay? They knew that you had to get an education. You had to be in a good, safe, clean environment. You had to go to where the jobs were and all that sort of thing. And that's what we should be focusing on, not this distraction called 
the voice. And it's to me, it's um, with that quote you just said, where it sends the poisonous message. It's very similar when the and it's typically the same support. You know, the people who support the voice also support that other poisonous message that Aboriginal people are endless victims of racism. Mm, okay. Yeah. Now, when Aboriginal people hear that, they think, well, we can't do anything until we fix all the racism. Well, again, it's just another fairy tale that keeps them um, living, you know, terrible lives. Well, Piers Ackerman in The Spectator um, recently had an interesting piece, Observation, uh, based on some some uh, statistics that came out of the Bureau of Statistics that found that the number of marriages where one partner uh, identifies as Indigenous and the other partner doesn't, the number of, of marriages in the, that, that conform to that is increasing. Now, Anthony, that would yeah. suggest to me that racism isn't a thing in Australia, that the, uh -huh. that the relations between the races are not only fine, they're actually getting better. Absolutely. And, you know, we don't have racism, racism we actually have reconciliation. So, you know, the, my case, an Indigenous parent, a non-Indigenous parent, that's reconciliation. And most, as Piers pointed out, yes, most Indigenous people are either partnered up with a non-Indigenous person or are the product of an Indigenous and non-Indigenous union. Um, so, you know, we are integrating well. We uh Indigenous people, they're our family, they're our neighbours and that sort of thing. So, yeah, let's not go down the path that racism is the big enemy. Let's not go down the path that a lack of the voice is the big enemy. We know it's got to be done. I think Australia was pretty much on the path back in the late 60s. Yeah. It, but, yeah. you know, we've just seen this, uh, this industry emerge and that industry really does profit from all this acrimony and division because it creates this uh, supposed need um, for billions of dollars to be spent helping um, Indigenous people, but the money never gets to them. Yeah. And look, um, you know, it goes to the, the managers, I guess, um, of these places. And in one remote community, one guy summed it up really well. He, he said the people there that are supposed to be looking after Aboriginal affairs, the, the well-being of Aboriginal people, he said if they did their job, They'd be out of a job. So, oh, yeah. You know, there is this, <laughs> you know, there is this, this was a, a plain country guy, you know, uh, who, who, who lived with the locals and rubbed shoulders with them and, you know, was just one of their friends. Well, that's the sort of wisdom that you don't hear in the corridors of power in Canberra. You know, this, this is pragmatic uh, observations about real life, not, not the way it's dreamed up up in, in Canberra. Is it? Yeah. Look, they the, um, the politicians down there, they should all... We had Tony Abbott, used to spend a lot of time with Indigenous people. Yep. They should all be doing it and, you know, not just going to the tourist destinations, but have someone like Jacinta and others lead them around and say, look, you know, these are the parts of, a, of Aboriginal Australia that you don't get to hear about all the time. Uh, and just show them the, re the hard realities. Well, here's, here's one bit that you don't get to hear about often. And there were some details about the, uh, the cashless debit card were released just a week or two ago. 
the cashless debit card was withdrawn back in, I think, uh, September last year by the incoming Labor government. And the cashless debit card was designed to prevent uh, mostly Indigenous men blowing their welfare on alcohol and gambling and drugs. Now, the details that were released a couple of weeks ago showed that some Indigenous people, and it would be fair to assume that they were women and probably mothers, volunteered to stay on the cashless debit card because it made their lives safer. And yet here we have these uh, busybodies and know-alls in Canberra saying, oh, no, you don't, you don't need a cashless debit card. Here, we'll just give your bloke, you know, the welfare money in cash and uh, he'll be back from the pub in a couple of days. It's, it's horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, no one's uh, pretending that this is meant to be the permanent long-term solution. Um, exactly. It's a circuit breaker and it needs... Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you and I and everyone else, we want to see um, whether a person's on earning a wage or on welfare money or whatever. We want them to know that whatever money they do have, uh, it's prioritised, you know, that food is on the table first and, you know, what you've got left over, you can, you know, do what you want. But we do know that there are some pockets in Australia where the money uh, is taken and misused and kids miss out on essentials. Yeah, well, what you're describing there are, you know, they're, they're programs that require effort and goals and some, some level of authority to implement them. But you say very, uh, you're, you make a very smart observation in your piece in The Australian that ticking yes in the referendum whether it's as an individual citizen or as a corporation saying, oh, yeah, we support the referendum, that's the easy option, isn't it, Anthony? Oh, absolutely. And um, as I said in the article, you know, the, the goodwill towards Aboriginal Australians by, you know, mainstream Australia is enormous. And many of them, they're wanting to do something. They're just not quite sure what to do. And particularly if they're living in cities away from these places, which they shouldn't apologise for, there's nothing wrong with that, but many of them are thinking, you know, how do I help Aboriginal people? I want to do something. I want to do the right thing. And this referendum thing, and the way it's been sold to them as, if you want to help Aboriginal people, vote yes. Well, we all want to help Aboriginal people, but there are some thinkers out there who are saying this isn't the best way to do it. And well, well, here's another point me, that – sorry, go on. Well, I just want to say I'm, I'm open. If someone can say to me – Here's how the voice will help get kids into school, put food on the table, give safe homes, create jobs. I might seriously consider it. And I've been asking, please show me the detail. Please connect the dots for me. And no one has done. Fred, am I missing something? No, I think you're, I think you're being perfectly reasonable to ask that question. And if they can't answer it, then, uh, then something's wrong. The other interesting thing about the polls is that you know, there's there's a decreasing number of people who haven't heard about or informed themselves about this uh, this proposed change to our constitution. And the the more people learn about it, the the greater the number of people who learn about it, the greater the no vote becomes. So that's, that's not surprising. Yeah, it's it's so it's I yeah. mean it, it is obvious, and and if. If the people you're confronting can't answer those questions, then 
you know, ordinary, sensible Australians are going to vote no, aren't they? Now, you've made a yeah, really good, you made a really good point in an essay uh, in, uh, recently, and that is, th I mean, th this is a fundamental point, and it's easy to make it sound philosophical, but it's not. It's perfectly practical and pragmatic, and that is, this is about whether or not our Indigenous brothers and sisters have different needs in life and if so, do they have different ways of achieving them? Now, our Judeo-Christian heritage has built this society and created all this freedom and prosperity based on the fact that no, they aren't different. We are all the same. Is that right, Anthony? Absolutely. And again, what better example um, illustrates this than when you look at the architects of The Voice, like I said, I disagree with them, but I respect them immensely. They have the same fundamental needs. They know the solutions, uh, and they've you know taken advantage of education, employment opportunities. And they were either you find one of two things: they were either born into good circumstances, like myself, or they were helped out of bad circumstances and took advantage of the opportunities that were given to them. And the other thing too, those. Uh, people, those architects will, will tell you their cultural connection, whichever way they want to define it, is still very, very strong. So they haven't lost their culture um, by partaking in the goods that our society offers. Yeah, very good point. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, bad news coming out of Canberra these days. Do you think The Voice is a convenient distraction uh, for away yeah, from absolutely, the... absolutely, as we read in the... We read in the Australian today, Claire was saying that. Um, it is, look, I am disappointed that it is sucking up more energy and time than what it has when, as we've just been discussing, it really hasn't done a good job of telling people what are the practical, tangible benefits for Aboriginal people. And given that it's, it hasn't done that, why are we spending so much time doing it? And, you know, the fact that, um, the Labor government are investing so much time in it is telling you something, I think, you know, um, that they, yeah. they really don't have a, a good product. They yeah. don't have a good product. And, we just, and of course, there's the other problem, yeah, that it's a convenient distraction from the day-to-day -day living as well. Indeed. We just need to vote no and put it behind us and get on with the yeah. reconciliation that we were achieving yeah. before all this, all this rubbish emerged. Dr. Anthony Dillon, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you, Fred. That's Dr. Anthony Dillon from the Australian Catholic University. Well, that's all from me tonight and for the week. Thanks for watching. The brilliant Damien Curie's The Other Side is up next at eight o'clock. It's an unmissable summary of the entire Brittany Higgins drama. You won't want to miss it. Over the weekend, have a look around our website, adh.tv, or app for all the recent commentary from Mark Stein, Alan Jones, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton, Dave Pello, and more. I'll see you again on Monday at seven o'clock. Now from next week, I will be broadcasting only one longer show per week every Monday, but I will be working just as hard behind the scenes to help make ADH the new home for common sense commentary in Australia. 
And we all know there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. Have a fantastic weekend and I'll see you on Monday. Good night.